Welcome to the Balkan Talks, where we discuss everything business and news related to the Western Balkans. The Balkan Talks is brought to you by WBBG, your partner for doing business in the Western Balkans region. Enjoy the episode. It's very much juggling these these relationships, um, which ha- you know has been working, you know, re- relatively well for them. But maybe now, you know, he will be he's getting closer to you know a decision point. He has to at a certain point choose what direction he wants yeah. to go in with Serbia. It's going to be a breaking point. You can't do this forever. Yeah, you can't do this forever. Yeah. Um, and you know, w- when he makes that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, Kosovo is a big part of it because if he wants to join the EU, that is a conditionality. You know, it has to be. You know, that the dialogue discussion has to be resolved mm-hmm. before Serbia can ever join the EU. So if he wants to go along that path, he has to, um, yeah, you know, take care of that discussion and and, and come to an agreement um, with Kosovo. So maybe the, you know, and 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 vice versa. The ex- expectations from Russian side will also be quite big. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Balkan Talks. Your <laughs> monthly F. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very energetic start of this yeah. episode. Welcome back. I'm joking. 20th episode. Oh, yeah. Season two. Woo! Balkan Talks. Yeah, we're very back. Good, very we're good. back, everybody. Party time. Yeah. Whoop, whoop. So we're going to insert some sort of party music here. <laughs> Maybe. No? No, yeah. we're not. No, so so no. We, we can ask the editor to uh, put in some party music. Yeah. P- p- pull it on the screen. Pull it right? on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so have you ever tried elk? No, I'm joking. That's okay. It. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> anyway. Um, welcome back, everybody. We're here we're, we're in a, with another episode of the Belkin Talks, the 20th episode, um, uh, season two, episode 10. Uh, once again, Sandro and me, we're going to talking about a, uh, we're going to be talking about a very specific topic. Uh, what's going on in Serbia? Yeah. Uh, because something's going on that's very, very recent. Well, a uh, lot has been going on. A basically. lot has been going on, definitely. Um, it's all kind of tied together to politics, maybe even a little bit of Corona, um, long, longer, uh, you know, lo- a long time of, of dissatisfaction with the situation by the populace, a lot of things. Um, so we're going to be talking about that today. Yeah. Uh, more of a serious topic this time again, just, you know, more informative. Um, which is good because we've been uh, getting questions from people too, who wanted more, uh, recent developments, more, uh, news related current affairs yeah. for us to talk about. And yeah, we think that a lot, of, if, you've, if you've been following the Western Balkans, at least for a little bit, the last few weeks, uh, you have seen what happened in Serbia. So uh, we think that will be a great, uh, great thing to, to to talk about and just to also, um, because there's, there's a lot happening. And so we'll, also, we'll, yeah. let's go, let's let's talk about that. So give us an introduction of what is happening, Sandro. So um, I think if, we, if, we're, if we're gonna take a time frame for what's been happening, I think we should say last month, um, but also, so we can take like the last elections, which happened uh, um, end of June, I think, somewhere 20 something of June where uh, the Progressive Party from uh, Alexander Vucic uh, got 
an absolute majority and there's been uh yeah things about th- around that you know discussions about the um legitimacy of that uh election of the results and um yeah after that we just we saw so we're recording this uh, halfway july and uh earlier this month there have been um, a lot of uh, protests uh, in, in serbia especially also in the serbian uh, capital where uh yeah uh, protests to storm the parliament there have been protests for a few days um, uh, large amounts of, of, of uh, police brutality which have also been made quite visual uh, on certain social media which uh, deserve talking about especially uh, seeing how the last few months uh, you know th- this topic has been high on the political agenda um, all around the world so we think this deserves some attention too. And we are, of course, and of course there's there's some bigger underlying trends. You know, you see things about, I think, I think we'll, we'll get to that, that what's been happening in Serbia right now is, 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 you know, another example of how the relationship between citizens and government in uh, Western Balkan countries, you know, we're taking Serbia as an example right now, but we're not singling out Serbia. You know, this is something which you see in more countries in the region that the uh, relationship between government and citizens is, um, yeah, fundamentally, uh, 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 yeah, skewed or skewed or broken or unbalanced or. But there is there's just a certain level of distrust. You know, yeah. I think distrust is the best word, um, which needs addressing, which is very important. So I think that will be um, good to talk about today. Yeah. So I think that's uh, maybe very short in a short uh, summary of what uh, why it's important to talk about this too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I'm 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 thinking about, of course, also the. Um, uh, which hasn't been talked about too much, but there's been also prote- protests in uh, Montenegro the last couple yeah. of months. Uh, there's been some protests in uh, in Albania, I believe, and um, yeah, also re- in, in Kosovo, a few things which happened with yeah. the uh, prime minister, I think, right? Who who got uh, deposed or something? Uh, what happened and is now being persecuted too? Which really okay. been some some discussions. That's also been quite quite uh, controversial, but. Let's let's steer away from those, you know, because it's always, you know, as as you know, we're good at this, you know, making news. <laughs> so it's always something happening in, in in the region. But I think that what's been happening in Serbia does does um, deserve some special attention. Um, and also, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll try to 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 also tie this into some bigger themes. So um, yeah, if we're gonna start with 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 June, what I said with the election, did you follow the election, Sanu? Have you seen uh, how it went? And so in general, I'm not really a, somebody who follows politics too much, and uh, I, I've not definitely not followed what what happened in Serbia. I've only heard of it uh, after the fact, um, but from from my understanding, so correct me if I'm wrong, the um, the actually already the ruling party, the progressive party. Uh, of Alexander Vucic, who I think it was about 2007, 2008, uh, he split, uh, he founded the party after a split with the radical party. And then ever since basically almost like 10 years, he's been, he's been the most successful political party in uh, Serbia up until now, I think. He's, he's been in power for quite a few years now. I don't think it's, I don't, I know, I'm not certain if it's 10, but he's been. He's been, he's been around. For, right? Yeah, yeah. He's been for, around for, for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. for a longer time. And yeah, the thing that made obviously the last elections uh, interesting is that, um, you know, his party got an absolute majority. So mm-hmm. they they have, I think, 60 something percent of the seats right now. And I think that also gives them, you know, the so-called 
supermajority, the fact that they can also make constitutional changes um, to the law um, with yeah using their majority, you know, because you need you need a bigger majority than just fifty uh, percent and one. So that's something that's interesting. And you know, when looking at those elections, I think it's also very um, telling again about how polarized politics can be uh, in the region because you just saw that. Uh, the, you know, one of the most important things, you know, as a political scientist, I I, I like um, I like investigating uh, elections, which sounds very nerdy, but I, f- I think it's very fascinating. And one of the biggest uh, uh, you know signs of how healthy a democracy is is the voter turnout. You know, how many people come out to vote and how many trust trust the system and the democratic process. And you saw that the voter turnout was just abysmal. It was horrible. You know, it was sixty something percent, which for a national election, it's horrible. You know, you should want 70, 80, 90% for a national election, uh, a parliamentary election. And this was just, um, yeah, on that on that 50, 60% mark. I think some reports even said it was below 50%. But so, so, you know, believe what you want. But, at, you know, either way, it wasn't high. And um, and that's also a result because a lot of, a lot of countries... Um, or countries, a lot of parties uh, from the opposition, they uh, boycotted the election. They just said it's not going to be fair, fair game, and uh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, yeah, we're gonna tell our voters to stay away, mm-hmm. to drop the turnout, which you know is a statement. But I think it does say something about how, um, yeah, things have been turning out in Serbia. What do you think? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting development. I think it's not even a development. So it's just interesting how things are basically. One thing that um, uh, that you see in the Balkans a lot is, um, you know, without without being able to kind of prove it directly, but you you read about it in, in articles and you you kind of um, you hear it, you know, from from other people, uh, the, the 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 voter fraud. Uh, the buying of of, of, of votes, yeah. uh, other types of manipulations, and I think um, I don't think I don't know, but I, it seems plausible that some of that might have also ha- happened here. So it, it happened in other countries as well. It still happens at, at elections. Um, so I don't know to what degree. I I always honestly thought it was uh, more limited than people kind of always think. Uh, so I don't know how much it influences the elections as a whole, um, but I do believe it happens in general. And um, so one thing that I believe also uh, went uh, awry or kind of weirdly in the election uh, cycle uh, in Serbia, for example, was that Serbia and together together with other Balkan nations, uh, when the whole corona wave started, um, the impact of the virus was very limited in the region. It, was, it hadn't really reached the region. Um, there weren't many cases. But all the countries there, they had a very strict lockdown, right? And uh, it was very strict. So for our Western listeners, um, Maybe not all of them, because I've heard, you know, there's been quite some extreme measures in, for example, Italy and Spain. But for example, Germany, the Netherlands, um, when you compare those uh, approaches to what happened in Serbia, it was, it was, you know, the countries on full lockdown, curfew, 
uh, you can't leave the house. Everything res- everything's restricted. Like a, ma- a very, relatively speaking, a very extreme lockdown. Yeah, and I think you have to you know compare it also to the fact that um, looking at the amount of you know uh, in- infections and people getting sick, w- which there were compared to the measures. Exactly. That relationship was very uh, exactly. severe. So so and and then after um, th- th- these restrictions, they so for example. In the Netherlands, when you see what they did with when the virus was receding, they loosened these restrictions every week uh, more and more. They reviewed at every step, okay, what's the situation? How is it developing? And can we maybe open up some more uh, businesses and so on? It was very controlled and measured. Um, In Serbia, uh, they were very strict. And then all of a sudden, uh, when the elections were about to come on, uh, where, you know, people had to go out and vote. Uh, the government of Vucic, he um, basically just dropped everything. All the restrictions were gone overnight. And people could go back to normal life just like that, just back. And um, what you saw was also kind of weird things going on, like, the exit festival, yeah, for example, that, that was very that was shocking. A very, yeah. Like I, I, I know a guy who, like, we're still living in sort of restrictions in the Netherlands, yeah. and he's like, "I'm going to exit festival in, in festival in Serbia." I was like, "What?" Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, is that? Yeah, no, they open up everything again. It's, what? What are we talking about? Like, it's Corona season. How can you open up everything? So that's what they did, and uh, some people are saying. This is, was done for the elections, and you well, but you, you, you do see that the more countries did this too in the region, right? So yeah. may, it might not be unique to Serbia, exactly. Okay, but then um, the elections came, and then uh, you saw uh, apparently, apparently, a surge in cases again. Well, you you still see it right now. You know, you you, you see for all the Western Balkan countries that the amount of cases are you know. Surging, surging like exponentially. Yeah, um, yeah. Especially in the way uh, which you wouldn't want it to happen. Yeah. And that was also the source, of course, of the protests which happened earlier uh, this yeah. month in July. You know, because um, but, but the, the initial protests happened because they restricted the, the measures again. You know, they put put down new uh, Corona measures and they, or well, not new, but they reinstated measures they yeah. lifted, where they said, you know, oh yeah, you can. You, you could go to clubs and everything again. Now mm-hmm. they said, no, there's no uh, getting together anymore. And all the old measures were brought back. And that was the, the spark, you know, of um, the protests again, because, you know, in, de- in that sense. But 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 just just to fit, just to add to that, maybe finish what, what I what, yeah, what I was ahead. saying. But, but so they brought back those measures overnight again, very strictly. And people were like, okay, no, we're not going to do this again. And some people were, were against the restrictions. Some people were uh, more more so like against, they were very against how the government in Serbia handled the whole Corona thing. And some people were like- Yeah, but this is the this whole is, reason, this is the whole reason why we're talking about Serbia right now, yeah. not the whole region. Yeah. It's because all, you know, almost all countries in the region have the surge again, you know? Yeah. But there's a reason why- in Serbia, it caused these massive protests. And what what what's that what's that reason then? And I think that it's it is the consequence of you know in one part that's why we started with that election you know that which happened two weeks before, um, where you know the results are just weird where a lot of you know a lot of people boycotted the election, 
And you also see that um, maybe this, this, this fundamental, you know, because that's the bigger topic, uh, which we should tie this into, you know, that relationship between citizen and government in the region, that relationship might be, um, you know, in, in, in a lot of countries, it's a hurt relationship. But I think especially Serbia is one of the countries where it's very strained because of, you know, a lot of extra issues in the country because things like Kosovo, uh, the, you know, the Kosovo-Serbia discussion, which will be, you know, uh, this month, this week actually happening again. We'll get to that later. But, you know, there are so many things happening inside the country and, you know, geopolitically, you know, Vucic has been playing all sides, you know, uh, as, as some kind of Tito, you know, being playing the West, but also Russia, but also China and also, you know, the weird episode we had with that China poster, the, yeah. the, you know, those things, which um, put Serbia in a different position than um, some other countries. And I think that's, you know, where the Mendo's protest started. It was, it was a larger protest than just the Corona measures. You know, it, it is something bigger uh, and, it, and it is that distrust which which uh, exists there. Because, yeah, you know, what you're saying about lifting the measures, they did, a lot of Western countries, Western Balkan countries have this problem now of, you know, um, you know, a country like Israel has the same problem. You know, they just lifted all the measures way too quickly. And, you know, other countries like the Netherlands, they said, you know, our principle is when we lift a measure, we want to be almost 100% sure we don't have to reinstate it again. Because, you know, there's one thing harder than making people wait one or two extra weeks, and that's giving them freedom and then taking it back, uh, you know, taking it away again from them two weeks later. So that's why, you know, that model. And that's why people have been so um, disappointed, I think, in, in, in the government and in, in a government like Serbia, where, you know, you have this distrust and then you see, you know, this inadequate handling of the situation it very much shows the need for public administration reform um, in, in, in that country, but in more countries, but especially Serbia as a country which could benefit from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, there's, there's just a general kind of distrust that's broader also, I think, than just that. You know, there's, like we mentioned earlier, um, I think there's also a big component of, of just general long, uh, long time of, a, a distrust towards how things are run. Um, it's not. It's not specific to Serbia, but you know, people are very, um, very suspicious of how the government or lower governments, but also high government, kind of operates. Um, they don't. They don't trust the validity, uh, the decision making. They don't think it's tra transparent. So this not just the corona measures but kind of this general kind of feeling it's broader and it's been going on for a long time and maybe these measures what happened now with corona was kind of just like the the the, the drop that spilled over the bucket let's say yeah but also of course you know you have to realize what one of the big problems you know what really characterized these protests too was the police brutality that happened you know i've i've seen this one video it, it was shocking to see it was you know, there were three guys sitting on a bench. I think it was in, in near parliament. They were just literally just sitting on the bench and just, you know, out, out of nowhere, two or three armored uh, policemen came with batons and started hitting them. They literally, you know, sometimes you can have discussions about, you know, did they do something, yes or no, you know, certain camera angles or whatever. But 
this was literally, they were just sitting there. You know, they did, they did nothing. It's very blatant. Yeah, just it was like very blatant face. police brutality. And I think, you know, touching on what you just said, the police in a certain sense is, you know, the daily encounter which people have with the government. You know, those, those uh, police uh, officers and agents, they are, um, you know, the, 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 the street level, you know, there's this representative. Yeah, representative. There's this beautiful uh, political scientist uh, term, the street level bureaucrat. They are the, you know, the extended arm of the executive branch of government um, on the streets. So they are the face of the government in those kind of situations. And when they do things like that, just start hitting people, start hitting journalists. That also happened a lot. A lot of journalists who got attacked, which you don't. I mean, you know, I tend to make jokes about the French culture of, of protests and always, you know, st having strikes and always, uh, 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 you know, fighting with their police. But I haven't seen uh, journalists getting hit, you know, in those situations. You see a lot of uh, violence, but you never see journalists getting, you know, targeted and hit. Mm. And that happened uh, with these protests. <laughs> Yeah, but I think, you know, Vucic or somebody in his government said like, well, you know, you have, people have every right to protest, but they don't have the right to throw bricks at police officers. Yeah, and, and that's the counter-argument. Yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's what he's presenting. Like, you know, they're, some of these people, some of them, uh, they, they instigated. Now, I don't know. I'm not picking sides in this, um, but what do we you say? We weren't there. We weren't there, of course. <laughs> yeah. what, do you, what do you say to that? I mean, I think a lot of people, if I, if I can ask my own question, but I think a lot of people that are there, they're going to, they're, they're not going to care. You know, they're just fed up with everything that's been happening and things just need to visibly change, uh, for the better, for them to even consider like, uh, you know, calming down, let's say, or choosing the side of the. Of the yeah. But you see what, you know, the, the, the throwing bricks question, you know, of course, if they start throwing bricks at you. Um, you should, you know, you, you don't stand there and take it. Um, at least, uh, uh, not up to, uh, not only, not, not, you know, without, without limits, but, um, you do have to understand, you know, simply said, when you see that video and you see those three guys sitting on the bench and you start see them start getting hit, that's bullshit, you know, yeah. but I think also very important. No, that's blatant bullshit. Yeah. 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 But you do see that, um, the way the police can function, you know, I'm going to take an example from the Netherlands again. We had these anti-corona uh, protests too, you know, of these very fringe groups who, who do it very much about this, uh, uh, on, on this topic. But with those protests, you also saw there was a group of, you know, our, our prime minister called them hooligans who started fighting. But when the what the police then does is that they separate the hooligans from the rest of the peaceful protesters or, or demonstrators and just fight with the hooligans. They don't. They don't start hitting random people uh, in a crowd, which does happen uh, in Serbia. And that has been something which, in more Western Balkan countries, um, you know, there is. There is. I'm going to ask you. You know, how much do you tr trust? You know, it's not a personal judgment. You know, there are maybe listeners who have family or who are police officers. You know, this is not something personal against you. But if you are stopped by, by, by a police officer in um, Bosnia, even, you know, what's your gut feeling? Well, nowadays it's, it's fine. I'm not negative per, per se against them 
or I, I don't have a bad feeling because, um, you know, I usually just, you, know, you can just chat, make a little joke and it's fine. Um, but when I was younger, maybe it would have been a bit more uh, negative. Um, but I think that's just, I don't know, a child. I think it's, I think it's all in experience, you know, what you kind of experience in your life. Um, I've never had bad experiences per se with police officers, you know, living in the Netherlands also, it's, it helps because we do, I think, have, uh, when you compare to other countries, quite well-trained uh, police officers, they're, they're really doing their job well, I think. And when it comes to Bosnia, yeah, I know, I think I, I even have um, uh, family um, who were family in-law, in-laws. Who, who were in the police so you know you know you know these people personally so you kind of it breaks down that perception so me personally i don't have a negative image of the police i've never had to fight with the you know the the, the riot police though so maybe that's the okay fair enough but do, can you imagine then um why people would have a negative image of the police um in those countries compared to maybe other um, Western countries, let's well, say it like that. Oh, I can imagine. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So one thing that I did, here's a little, <laughs> a little story. When I was like younger, 18, I think I, I went with a group of students to be volunteer uh, training rioters for uh, riot police in a little makeshift village in the Netherlands, <laughs> in the forest. And um, yeah, the police really hit. It was training, but they really hit with their batons and you had to like throw stuff at them. So I kind of, I understand the... the did you get a Molotov? No, 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 no. But I did get hit in my leg with a baton and stuff. It was quite cool. It was, a it was practice. Cool. Yeah, it was practice. Yeah, yeah. But for they, you, for you too. Yeah, for, for your for sure, professional yeah. protest. For my, for my professional protesting uh, career, which I, I've never done. Um, yeah. uh, not in that way, at least. Um, so, um, I can really imagine like when, when you're standing there and the police comes at you, you know, in some situations I can like the, when the government's like, if the government's being unreasonable or like, you know, they just don't want you to be there and you're like, we're just standing here. We're protest protesting. The situation is, is really bad. Something needs to change. You're not listening. And the police is like, you got to leave and you don't want to leave because you have your own, you know, you start, the police comes at you, um, they're there to, to keep order. And eventually, if you stay too long, make sure that you leave. <laughs> so there's going to be clashes, I think, almost by default if if you stay there for too long, let's say, even if they allow you to be there. So I can imagine. I can kind of imagine that, uh, that emotion. But once again, I've never actually been in such a situation. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Well, I think, okay, so... We, we, could, we could ask our listeners maybe when they, when they have some uh, some kind of. Uh, I, I'd, I'd really be interested in like if we have a listener who's who's been in protests. Yeah, or if, they, if you've been to this protest in Belgrade. Yeah, uh, for sure. So if you've been there, yeah. let us know. Send it. Send us. Send us in something. Like, what's your experience there? We'd yeah. love to hear that. You can also let us know in our Telegram group nowadays. <laughs> yeah, we have a Telegram group. I have group, to for sure. plug that Balkan Business Network Telegram group. Join it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, question: Do you think? how much and to what to what extent do you think this is tied to the whole you know thing we had going on last month with uh george floyd's death in america well of course it's 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 tied in because the whole reason why um you know the police brutality question is so much more under a magnifying glass is because this has been happening all over the world. You've been seeing protests. And that's also the reason why news outlets um, do spend more time 
covering uh, these happenings. And I'll also be, uh, you know, I'm convinced that the reason why a lot of people went out to protest was probably also because this protesting wave has been going over the world. So that has been influencing, you know, Serbia a lot. And I think, I think we're not out of the woods yet because no. this week, you know, what will be uh, starting? This, no. The Serbia-Kosovo dialogue will be starting up again, or at least... It should be. The, the, yeah, it should be started up because it was delayed a little bit for a week. It should be starting up somewhere, you know, mid, mid-July now, this, the week of, of, of this um, publication. And I am very interested in what will happen there because I'm not going to say there will be riots right away. Well, maybe if if uh, if uh, they re- reach an agreement, maybe one side will riot, maybe both, maybe none of them. You, I have no idea. But that will also be, be interesting to see what happens, you know, because you now have that, you know, because originally Trump was going to do it, but Trump is not going to do it anymore. So now there is a, you know, German-French-led initiative, which will be, yeah, you know, a di- dialogue will be held. Do you know why Trump is not going to do it anymore? No idea, actually. I think maybe he's too busy with Corona. I think that uh. would probably be it. Because the US has also been, you know, yeah. in a pretty bad state <laughs> with, with regards to that. From what we've seen. Yeah. Uh, recently. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I, I, I am very interested in what this is going to be. Because, you know, signs are maybe not very promising from what I've read from the opening statements before mm-hmm. the... Um, dialogue, it, it, yeah, it, it, it's quite, you know, fixed positions again. But maybe there is, you know, I've, I've read this interesting analysis that, you know, maybe um, now there is more momentum to change something in this question, at least on the Serbian side, than uh, before. And it has to do, again, with our election results from uh, Vucic and the Progressive Party. Because, you know... You can say, you know, it, it, it is a, you know, questionably good or bad thing um, that his party has this this very large majority, absolute majority and the super majority, which they can also use to change the constitution. That of obviously when you have a low turnout, um, you know, can bother people. But on the other hand, it does uh, indeed give them the power to make decisions quickly. And if he were to, let's say, the, by the end of this week, uh, recognize Kosovo's independence, he could sign off on that constitutionally without a lot of trouble if he gets his party in line, obviously. But let's assume they uh, he does, they do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think maybe the expectations, that's also what I read, you know, the expectations are higher now maybe than before because yeah, he that, has the power. Is that true? Because I'm not sure, like, I don't know what, what Vucic's political line is when it comes to Kosovo. Uh, well, obviously, he's, obviously, it's it. He he wants to keep it within Serbia. Yeah, but I mean, he, it, there's been some gestures towards yeah goodwill gestures the last few years when it comes well, to and, that. And the grand the grand political problem is still geopolitical, you know, mm-hmm. because that's also you know what what I hinted on earlier that, that what Vucic has been doing for years right now geopolitically is you know juggling you know, the relationship with Russia and improving ties with China, you know, getting tourists in, wanting uh, investments from China, but also still seeking, you know, uh, EU accession and, and closer ties there. So he's very much juggling these these relationships, um, which, ha- you know, has been working, you know, re- relatively well for them. 
but maybe now, you know, he will be, he's getting closer to, you know, a decision point. He has to, at a certain point, choose what direction he wants yeah. to go in with Serbia. There's going to be a breaking point. You can't do this forever. Yeah, you can't do this forever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, w- when he makes that decision, mm-hmm. um, Kosovo is a big part of it. Because if he wants to join the EU, that is a conditionality. You know, it has to be, you know, that the dialogue discussion has to be resolved. Mm-hmm. before Serbia can ever join the EU. So if he wants to go along that path, he has to, um, yeah, you know, take care of that discussion and and, and come to an agreement um, with Kosovo. So maybe, the, you know, and, and, and vice versa, the ex- expectations from Russian side will also be quite big maybe to, to you know, because uh, uh, it's still their foothold in a certain sense in the Balkan region as it's been for a long time uh, with the historic relationships. Um, and Vucci said he's committed to this EU-led uh, dialogue, you know, that, that the French and the Germans are playing a role and that they are trying to facilitate that discussion. So it will be very interesting to see what happens. I think there will be some kind of change. Mm-hmm. Maybe not radical, you know, like, like oh yeah, we recognize your independence. But I would be very surprised, actually, if the result would just be same-same. Yeah. That, that, that nothing will change. Well, I have this feeling that it's also kind of a, a there's a end of an era coming for for a lot of um, pol- politicians and parties in in the Balkans. I have this feeling. I can't really place it. And the end of what era then? Would you? Well, how would you define that? I would say more in general sense. A lot of parties and a lot of politicians have been around now for quite a long time, and you know the world is changing quite rapidly now. You see a lot of like what you mentioned, geopolitical changes. You see a lot of, uh, you know, liberalization, democratization, uh, social media is kind of being used, you know, maybe 10 years ago, such a video of people hitting, you know, police hitting people on a bench, even though there was Facebook, it wouldn't have been uh, as widely televised, for example. You well, know? the whole George Floyd thing is a perfect it's example exactly. of what, so, what one video can do. And and it, it, it's moving countries now, these kinds of things. So I, I feel that there's kind of a, a change of guard coming in the Balkans. But it's not a feeling that I can re- – it's not something that I can really, um, you know, uh, underpin with anything except that I feel that all these things happening will in the coming five years definitely cause change. And I hope for the better. Well, and you know what one of the because because oh, just yeah. to add to this for our listeners, my whole hope is that the Balkans can finally find peace and you know we can cooperate to you know to build a, together a better future, develop the region together. That would be ideal. Building a better tomorrow. Yeah, yeah Balkans yeah. 2.0. Balkans 2.0 confirmed. Yeah. 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 yeah, but you know one of the interesting things in in that regard actually what this reminds me of is that you know, one of the fascinating things which also happened when um, the whole coronavirus, you know, popped up and, and, and you know, as we mentioned before, the strict lockdown happened in uh, also Serbia, but a lot of other Western Balkan countries. And, you know, they, they had to do, to do a lot of things very quickly, despite, you know, us saying right now that, that you know, their response has failed. And, it, in, you know, in a certain sense, you know, their processing of the the measures and you know what's been happening now with their second wave has been handled quite poorly but one thing which they did quite well and let's be honest a lot of countries did it did this well but they also did it well 
was just instituting those measures in a fast way and and bypassing regular procedures which are known to be very slow in the region normally. And what that means is that, you know, the ironic thing of it actually is that, you know, public administration, government procedures, the, bu the bureaucratic mess, which a lot of those countries in the Western Balkans are, it all of a sudden turned into a quite efficient, quickly operating, um, uh, you know, state apparatus, which just instituted these measures and, and um, yeah, you know, who, who got the country in, in a certain line. And I think that in a certain sense showed people what the country can do if they bonded together. It in a certain sense showed the capacity of countries in the Western Balkan region what they can do when they do um, unite under under a certain thing and that they focus and put all their energy towards something. So maybe that, you know, situation and that being forced to do that, you know, lifted the curtain up a bit and showed people what's behind the curtain, which is, you know, that better tomorrow maybe. And it, it now has been dropped quickly again, you know, by the standard bureaucratic po po polarizing dialogue, um, you know, in Serbia with these protests, you know, the um, Bucic, but also uh, Brnabic, the... the, the uh, Anna Brnabic, yeah? yeah. The pr premier? Premier, yeah. Uh, they said, you know, that, that these protests are by very extremely right-wing people who are also, um, you know, and 5G deniers and think that they believe in aliens, you know. This extreme polarization of, you know, characterizing your opposition as as crazies, you know. It, it, it shows this extreme polarization and, and sectarianism and factionalism within uh, the country. And this is, it exists in a lot of uh, Western Balkan countries. But that, that small, you know, window, which, which they had to act with, with the looming danger of Corona, all of a sudden the, the governments became relatively efficient. And that maybe showed what's possible. Yeah. So maybe that makes you more optimistic about about what can be done. I don't maybe, but I, I personally I don't know. You know why? Because it also shows that they can these governments can do things if they want to. So they don't want to most of the time. That's yeah, but what that's the whole point. I think you know the whole the whole factionalism and corruption and all those endemic problems which we have, which we yeah. cannot deny, they can be ignored so so to say they can be bypassed they are not a necessity mm -hmm. for the system to operate no that's true but why but it doesn't like uh, uh explain why let's let's assume right because i don't know um i do think that there's less corruption than people think but let's assume that there's a government there is enough corruption i think <laughs> yeah but less i think there's less than people think in in general that's my th that's my view like it's not like not everybody's corrupt. Yeah, like, there's of course. Some, not, sometimes, okay, no. sometimes when you talk to people in the Balkans, like everybody and their grandma is corrupt. That's not <laughs> that's not true. I don't that's think not that's true. That's no. True, yeah. I think there's there's definitely corruption, but it's not like everybody's there to fuck yeah, you but over. It, it, it is an endemic problem. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's it's, the point. it's there, but it's not like that's what I mean. Like whatever. But let's assume the government's there and they they're in power. Some part, some government, uh, and you know they have the. They have the the, the the capacity to change using these measures. They prove that they can, right? But why would they, the sitting government, 
now that they have all the advantages that they have, use that to change because they already could. They just proved that they could. They just they they don't want to. Yeah, but that's the whole point, and that's where the democratic process comes in again. Right, but that still implies, I think, that it has to come from the population. Yeah. Ergo, the the people that are protesting and, and, you know, good actors, you know, honest actors within the government, you know, that's what I mean. Yeah, but that's the permanent democratic problem of, 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 you know, of of, of how you organize your country. Because let's say, you know, one um, uh, argument we heard a lot uh, regarding the last election in Serbia, is that they say, but yeah, the people voted for Vucic in the Progressive Party, and he got sixty something percent of the seats. Mm-hmm. But when you have a sixty percent turnout, you know that means that I'm going to do quick maths right now. Two thirds of the country voted, quick and two thirds of that uh, voted for Vucic. So if uh, you do it by the one thirds of again, okay, I'm going to really <laughs> bomb this, but. It it isn't it isn't fifty percent. No, that's no, something no, you could no, say. No, it's, it's I think like 30, it's around forty or something. Yeah, thirty yeah. to forty percent. Yeah, around forty percent. Yeah. You count for um, which is a large amount, but it isn't it isn't the majority which he has right now. No, that's true. And and that's the whole point with you know voter turnouts and what that's so important for the health of your uh, democracy that you need high voter turnout to show that you as a country are functioning. Um, and I think that's the underlying uh, underlying discussion which we should have here. So why is the relationship between um you know governments and citizens so um you know disturbed in that region and i think a lot of that comes from the street level problems you know and that's where the corruption comes in not everybody's corrupt but when you encounter corruption you encounter it at some random desk where you have to to get a stamp for your passport you encounter it at you know, as some police uh, agent who stops you, who wants to fine you, you encounter you you don't encounter the corruption which happens on the top levels of government if it happens there. You, you don't encounter it as uh, a regular citizen, and yeah. that's why it's so important to tackle the systemic, the endemic problem of corruption and and distrust. But isn't that also a little bit of a culture thing? Like, I had the feeling that people kind of just assume. Uh, there's this thing that people assume that is just their corruption, and so they're more inclined to like, play the game, so to speak, and also become corrupt in certain sense. Like if people think that there's corruption, they'll be more inclined to take a bribe themselves. Because but why isn't then every country in the world corrupt? If this is the logic, well, I think every, corruption is everywhere, but to varying degrees. It has been everywhere at some point in time. Yeah, but some countries have rooted it out, and some haven't. Yeah, but I mean, like, there's there's corruption for sure here in the Netherlands as well. Although there's not a there's it's not, not a, systemic. Yeah, it's not a there's not no culture of, and I think there's it's also important for people to kind of be conscious of the fact that you don't have to accept, and I th- in fact don't you shouldn't accept that corruption is normal right don't accept it you just it's not normal it's not how your country should work like if somebody if you if you encounter somebody who talks about it in a you know nonchalant fashion say something about it it's not correct it's not how it should work because if everybody does this you know that's how you get to the point where you are yeah, but if, if the, it becomes normal. Yeah, but the, you know the, when you go up one level again, so that's why corruption is so hard to root out. Is because you know I, I'll, I'll I'll put this um, argument up fair and square. 
The problem is why does the local police agent or the uh, you know desk worker at some government um, uh, you know thing where you have to get your stamp? Why are they corrupt? And that's most often because they don't get paid enough in their view, or that they view that people above them are, you know, taking all the profits, uh, earning everything, and they are only being slaved away for 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 small um, for for a small pay. So those are also the, the the overlying issues which you have to tackle, and that comes from developing a better economy. But then then you get the circular problem that the better economy. And it, it's hard to develop a more healthy economy if you're corrupt. So that's the chicken and egg yeah. discussion which you'll have. So you know, I'm not a sp- specialist in rooting out corruption, but I think that's one uh, of the things that really needs to be tackled if you want to restore trust between government and citizens. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you know when when you, for example when you see um, when you see p- people from the Balkans who move to Western countries, they don't tend to be you know, that corrupt, they just kind of, so I would say that people play the game in the system where they are. So I would say that one thing that you definitely but that, but that do. Insinuate, that insinuates that yeah. it's, it's uh, bottom up, doesn't it? Uh, Every, you see everybody, no. everybody around you playing the game. So you, you, you do no, it. And no, then- no, that's not what I mean. Exactly. What I mean is that if, if you take some, so if you take somebody from the Balkans, you put them in a Western country that, where there's no uh, overt corruption or it's very rare, they're not going to be playing, playing along with that. They're, they're going to know it's not, not okay. And they're not going to do that. It's not like people in the Balkans are corrupt, uh, like by nature, of yeah. course. Uh, the, the point is, I think that um, it's not bottom up. I'm saying it's going to be slight. There, there's going to have to, it's going to have to come from both sides, but there's going to need to be some actors at the top or somewhere halfway doing some sort of uh, reorganizing and punishing. So I think, for example, if you can show that you punish a corrupt police officer or police chef, you know, you just, you, they lose their job, uh, you know, can't do that anymore. The other ones, the you know, I think the majority of people don't like corruption. The other ones are going to not want to do that anymore. They're going to be scared off. And the people that, you know, the majority of people that are like, this is, this is bullshit. We shouldn't do this. They're going to be very happy. They're going to see, okay, we can do something about it. Right. Uh, I, like there's a few examples that come to mind uh, from uh, Bosnia that I really like where they, did in fact um they caught a few police officers red-handed uh the their police chef who was new caught them red-handed and they got fired they got fined and like you know from what i've heard you know these police officers in this municipality uh you know they backed off they never asked for uh, or insinuated anymore for you know give them buy buy them coffee you know or whatever to get out of the fine so um uh, it's possible, but I think it needs to come from some some measures need to be taken by by good actors from from top to bottom. But the people themselves need to do their best to not uh, not accept it as normal, and also you know be aware of it and not play try not to play the game. And that's how you change it. Well, and yeah, but the main problem with that is you know where does it start? You know when you have one of these police chefs, you're lucky to have him or mm-hmm. her. 
but when the you know you know the saying you know when the the, the fish is rotten from the head then you know all the way down it it, it stinks so you know when we're talking about Serbia too I think the example with the last elections there was a story about Shabbat this this uh, small city in uh, in Serbia uh, where you know it's it's a city which is very um, not pro Vucic and very not pro the Progressive Party. But last elections of the sudden, you know, a lot of people voted there for the Progressive Party, and there have been very strong signs. There was voter buying, you know, there were just, you know, the, the, the votes, yeah. yeah, the party offering offering people, uh, you know, from two thousand dinar to 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 I don't know some coffee for for a vote because the people are poor. So that's also something which we're talking about the health of your democracy. How can you have a healthy democracy when people are you know, ready to sell their vote for 2,000 dinar, which is, what, 16 euros or something? Mm-hmm. You know, people are, people are, you know, how, how you know, I don't have the answer to this. You know, I I, yeah. I studied this, but I don't have the answer. Well, maybe, but maybe, the answer is you have to fix your economy. Yeah, but may, maybe the answer is, you know, this these kinds of protests um, like we see now in Serbia. But then you have to hope that these protests have a good, End result and not something that's the same or worse. Yeah, right? I agree. I agree. So you know that, that that's, that's that's also something. a risk. I mean, I I remember protests in Bosnia in 2014, and you know, I don't think a lot of things changed after them. Like there were buildings burning, police clash. Like it happens. Well, yeah, but that yeah, that that's the whole exactly. point. How can we break that cycle, and how can we make sure that, that you know public administration reform in a systemic way happens? You know that this polarization. Uh, at a certain point, it has to stop if you want to make progress, and that's you know I'm I'm very optimistic by your message that you're saying you know I hope that uh, uh, some somewhere soon we can uh, you know see a new generation of of politicians and politics, and that we can make a step uh, in the right direction. In my in my view, the right direction is the EU. You know that that you make a step that countries like Serbia take the step in that direction, that that becomes a new future of. Uh, the country. So yeah, I think that that should be maybe that should be your final message, Sani. What do you think? I think that sounds good. Yeah, we should we should strive all together. Right? All together now. I think I think that's also a good right. song to make. Let's let's not if we can make that our outro music. Yeah. <laughs> all together. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah but yeah. also, um, yeah. I mean, that's it. Just make sure that uh, my final message is is that just make sure that you. Do your absolute best if you do work, for example, as a as a public servant to um, fight and prevent uh, corruption around you. And if you're uh, if you're somebody who's dissatisfied with the government, you're you know you live in a democracy now. Uh, you have responsibility as yeah. well. To I think make that's it very work. important. That's what you're very saying right now. Like, Take your democratic responsibility exactly. Seriously. And and uh, like even like if you're protesting now. Uh, all power to you. I hope you get the the change that you're looking for, but make sure that it's positive long-term change because don't just go out there and protesting some like because your guy is not sitting on the throne. You you know, look at what what is wrong and what needs to be fixed. So try and think about that and 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 you know, hopefully we can at the end of this ride, the end of this coming decade we'll have a a much better Balkans that we than we started with. At the start of the the century. Yeah. Well, at least everything will be better than twenty twenty. Yeah. <laughs> so in that yes. sense, uh, we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't to complain. Top, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
And, may, and maybe as a last note, you know, we, we talked a lot about these things which had happened in Serbia, but mm. we're not singling out Serbia in this case. No, of course you not. Know, it's it's, just, it's uh, an example where a lot of things have been happening the last, the last uh, few weeks, but the, this is very applic applicable to a lot of countries in the Western Balkans. Yeah, you know, definitely. Fundamental change needs to happen. Okay, so this has been our 10th episode of the second season. Mm -hmm. We're taking a short break. Yeah. Uh, we're back in September yeah. again. Yeah. With uh, with another guest to to kick off the second part of the season. Yeah, Sanu, you're going on holiday, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Back to the motherland. The motherland. Mm -hmm. Very or the good. Bosnia. Yeah, yeah, nice. Hopefully, we'll see. Like, um, if the Corona uh, situation worsens, of course, then not not. I'm gonna stay here. Um, so it's gonna be tight. It's gonna be in two weeks. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, might as well stay in the Netherlands or go somewhere else. Uh, maybe close closer to home, uh, but anyhow, uh, we're taking a break uh, for for the for the whole month of August at least, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For for that month, so uh, yeah, we'll be back in September with more content, for so, sure, uh, with fun guests and new energy for the uh, second part of the season. For sure, for sure. Okay. All right. So uh, yeah, everybody, thank you for listening to uh, to the Balkan Talks again. Yeah. And, so uh, make sure to listen to the lady in our outro. Oh make yeah. Make sure to follow us on all our social media channels. Telegram group. We have a Telegram group now. So Balkan Business Network. Exactly. Call the Balkan Talks. We'll add it. Just we'll search for a Balkan Business Network. Yeah. We'll add it in our in our descriptions, and we'll have some links here and there. Join the group. Uh, on the group, you'll be able to follow what we do. We'll post updates. Yeah. You can and ask us questions. Us. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Interact with us and also give you a bit more uh, say in what we do and uh, research. Uh, so hopefully see you there. Uh, thank you all so much once again for listening. My name is Sanir and my colleague, of course, Sandro. And uh, we will uh, talk to you soon. Talk bye to bye. you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Balkan Talks. Don't forget to follow the Western Balkans Business Group on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube, and at WBBG Official on Instagram. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a positive review and follow our podcast to stay up to date on all our future uploads. You might also want to check out any of the other episodes of the Balkan Talks, which are available online. If you would like to learn more about the Western Balkans and all the opportunities that exist in the region, please contact WBBG at www.wbbusinessgroup.com. WBBG, connecting the Balkans. Thank you.